Hey everyone, it's Jeff from MCS Magazine, and if you've listened to any of my frustrated rants when it comes to firearms training, then you know that when it comes to training for a real self-defense scenario, I am not a big fan of the typical gun range adventure that most people are doing. In fact, I believe that the best training that you can do to be really prepared is in your own home with just a few simple tricks. Unfortunately, I'm not the only one trying to change the thinking of the whole tactical firearms training universe. So, to help me spread the word, I asked my good friend Ox from TacticalShootingSecrets.com, who's the creator of the Dry Fire Training Cards, to slip in as this week's guest host so I could share some of my best tips for gun training at home and get his feedback as well. This is a special treat I know you're going to love. So, let's go ahead and jump right into the interview now. bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, would you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Hey there, everyone. This is Ox from TacticalShootingSecrets.com. Stepping in this week as guest host for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine's weekly podcast interview. This week, we're going to turn the mic around on Jeff and talk about a topic that both he and I are very passionate about. How to make your firearms training as realistic as possible to better prepare you for the reality of a life-or-death gunfight. I can tell you that Jeff shares my frustration with a lot of the training we see down at the range. And even in a lot of so-called tactical classes, some of these trainings can actually establish dangerous habits that can fail you when you need them most. And our goal is to open your eyes to the mistakes you may be making now and the opportunities in a new way of training can offer you to become better prepared. Now, if this is your first time listening to the MCS podcast, let me tell you a little bit more about Jeff Anderson. Uh, first off, Jeff is a 10-year combat veteran and a lifelong combatives trainer. With his creation of the International Society of Close Quarter Combatants, he pulled together over 80 of the world's top experts provide fellow tactical arts practitioners like like you and like me with advanced training in hand-to-hand and weapons combat, tactical firearms training, and urban survival strategies. Jeff later went on to create the ISCQC's sister organization and the publishing arm, Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, which now has over 700,000 subscribers and followers. You can learn more about Jeff and MCS Magazine at moderncombatandsurvival.com. All right, Jeff. You ready for this? I am absolutely ready. I've been looking forward to this, man. I've been like on pins and needles all day. So this is going to be uh, – this will just be taking the conversations you and I normally have on the phone and just putting it behind a recorder. So this is cool. Yeah, it's taken a while to uh, transition <laughs> from having the conversations with each other to uh, getting them recorded. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, like me, uh, I know a lot of what you advocate for firearms training goes way against popular gun training culture and how most people are practicing these days. So let me start by asking you what you feel the biggest trap is that gun owners fall into when it comes to how they're training for an attack. Uh, I would say, I mean, definitely it would it would be people's reliance on using traditional gun ranges as the foundation for all of their firearms training. I mean, I think I think people believe that range training is preparing them for the real thing simply because there's a bullet coming out the other end of a gun 
and they can get a one-inch shot group at 15 yards. They get the bragging rights. They get the the confidence, and and that type of an environment builds confidence, and and it, and it is good for that. I'm not totally against against gun ranges, but unfortunately, those aren't the same conditions that you're going to be facing in a real attack. I mean, most likely, you know, if you're attacked, you're you're going to be in low lighting. It's going to be at very close quarters. Your attacker is going to be moving. Either he's going to be moving, you know, sometimes even right at you. And your adrenaline is going to be jacked. And those aren't the conditions that you can easily replicate at the range. I mean, most ranges don't even allow you to, like, draw your weapon from a, from a concealed holster. Um, you're not allowed to use, like, alternative firing positions, like sitting in a chair or, or lying on your back or things like that that you could find yourself in in a real fight. And everyone out at the range, like along the lanes next to you, gets kind of cranky when you want to turn off the lights and do like a, a low light simulation and everything. So for all those reasons, you know, ranges don't really allow you to get the practicality that you should be getting to prepare yourself for a real attack. Now, let me give you a, let me give you a comparison to this because I like to use this as an example. When I was in the Army um, in light infantry and you know, we had our we had our range training. So we had our live fire training where we would take our M16s, we would go down to the range, we would get into a foxhole, we would we would shoot from a prone position, lying down, supported on a handbag, and there would be pop-up targets at various ranges. So it'd be anywhere from 50 yards all the way out to 300 yards, and there'd be little pop-up targets, and you'd have to shoot them down. And so that was that was our range training, but that really only helped us you know, kind of get the, the mechanics of the weapon down, um, get used to scanning, things like that. Now, the environment that we would use that in would most likely be like a defensive position. So if you're in a foxhole, you're in a defensive position. So it was very realistic for something like that. But we knew that, you know, a lot of times we were on the offense. If we were going to be going on a combat mission, we were going into another location, especially in, in today's wartime. You know, there's not a lot of like, we're in a defense sitting in a foxhole and the enemy, you know, Spetsnats are, are coming over the hill at us. Now we're going in and we're clearing homes and we're, you know, we're going out and meeting the enemy on their ground. And even in the Army, that type of live fire training was really best suited for a defensive position. Now, if if we were going to go into another mission, we understood that it was the tactics of getting into a firing position that was most critical. You know, it's it's going into buildings. It's being able to enter different rooms. It's it's the things outside of just pulling the trigger that were the difference between life or death. Just being able to get into position. How do you move appropriately? Things like that. So so those were much more important than the range training that we had. Now the same goes for your firearms training because your your battleground is your home. It's it's the street. It's the parking lot. It's in your car. It's not the range. So just like in the military, you know, I believe in using live fire for familiarization to get the feel of a real gun, but I'm much more of a believer that it's your tactics that are way more important than the weapon itself, and you can, de you can develop both accuracy as well as tactics in your home or other real-life location even better than you can down at the range. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. One of the statements I always make is that all training is compromised, and the only time it's not compromised is when you've got someone firing live rounds back at you. And <laughs> it's not a real effective way to train. So we choose to it's a short It's a short-term way to train. Yep. <laughs> Very short way, short-term. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, as long as you know how you're compromising and the difference between what you're doing and what reality is going to be, um, 
it's it's each of those components are great on their own. Live fire is great for for certain things. Uh, training in your home with dry fire is great for certain things. Uh, combine the skills together, and um, and you've got much much closer to what real life is going to be than either one of them on their own. Yeah. Right. Good deal. Well, when it comes to equipment, now we know people are going to choose the gun they prefer to train with and carry, and um, that's that's probably a whole other can of worms. But um, when it comes to what people are shooting at, there's a lot of different target types to choose from, and we've got bullseye targets, we've got silhouette targets, and targets with realistic drawings or photos of criminals or uh, some even holding hostages. Uh, in your opinion, what's the best target for someone to shoot at that would help them prepare for a real attack? Basically, you want to train with as – I mean, this kind of goes back to our realism principle. So you want to train with as realistic a target as possible. I think that's why we really started coming out with – and law enforcement is using you know, more and more of like these photo targets where you actually see a person or there's a hostage or – there's a shoot, don't shoot type scenario where you have a, a picture of somebody either holding a gun or it might be a cell phone or something like that. Like they're trying to bring more realism into into the, the type of targets that people are normally used to training with because they're going down at the range. You know, I mean, most people train with a stationary paper target at the range hanging off of a wire. But in real life, everything's going to be in 3D and it's most likely going to be moving either away from you to the side or right straight at you. And so that's why I like to train with the way that the brain recognizes threats, which is in three dimensions. So you can use, you can even use things like mental imagery. So if you're doing dry fire training, and I guess we should probably, you know, define that a little bit, but dry fire training is, is really like just, it's being able to use your weapon or a replica of a weapon. Um, you know, specifically, I think, you know, called dry fire training. A lot of people are used to just using like their own weapon, but with things like snap caps or something in it where, you know, you can pull the trigger, you have the feel of your real weapon, but there's no ammunition loaded in it. And, you know, we'll throw out all the safety stuff out there. Like, obviously, you don't want to, you know, have ammunition in the same room. Like, there's there's safety precautions, and, you know, I think everybody should look those up and see what they are when you're when you're dry firing. In fact, your book, your book Ox, has, like, a, a vast section in there. And I don't want to go into it all right now, but there's a vast section in there about how to train safely with dry fire. But the thing is, you can even use your fingers if you wanted to because we're talking about tactics. But still, as realistic as possible is, is how you want to get it. So I like to do things in 3D. So you can use mental imagery. You can literally just visualize something happening in your mind. You can create this movie in your mind, and and that creates a dynamic moving picture of a real person. So that's that's probably the simplest way to do it. Um, but I like to use 3D training dummies as as the enemy. And one of the things I like to use is the is the Bob training dummy. And so this is the body opponent bag. If you go Google it, you'll be able to find it. It's at a lot of like different um, like department or you know sporting goods stores and things like that. But it's that it's that simulated person. It's a torso of a person and a realistic type face and things like that that you can punch away at. It's used for martial arts a lot. But what I've done is I'll I'll actually dress up Bob. Um, that sounds a little weird, I know, but I like to dress Bob up and, uh, you know, but you can make him look very realistic. Like we use, um, like a wig. We've colored his hair. We colored his eyes so it looks more realistic. We try to make him look as realistic as possible. Put clothes on him and things like that. 
the benefit of that is that you have a three-dimensional person there that you can station like around your home or, you know, in your, in your driveway next to your car, things like that. But you can also, you know, beat the hell out of Bob, you know, so it's, it's used for martial arts. It's used for hand-to-hand combat. So if you were working on like an ambush drill or something like that, you can actually strike it and then draw your weapon. You can do a lot of things with, with Bob. We also though have a lot of different, like we, we make realistic training dummies out of very cheap materials you can get down at Home Depot. And then you can create several of these and create a multiple attacker sequence. So basically you're, you're creating mannequins and we have them set up now where we can even have them holding a gun or holding a knife or holding a hostage. And you can, you can basically position these three dimensional clothed mannequins um, into a scenario and, or somebody else can do that for you so that it's kind of a surprise scenario for you. And then you can, you can train with those. But I like, I like three dimensional targets to make it as realistic as possible. Now, the ultimate dry fire or the ultimate practice that you can do in that type of environment is going to be a training partner. I mean, that's going to be the most realistic scenario based training that you can get. Yep. And, um, it'll introduce all the dynamics that you, we're talking about with movement and uh, randomness and and realism. They're, uh, it's hard to beat uh, a real live opponent. Yeah. All right. So you've been listening to my interview with MCS Magazine editor Jeff Anderson as we talk about alternative training methods for preparing for a real gunfight. We have a lot more coming up, including my questions to Jeff about force-on-force training and how to get the most out of training with a partner the most overlooked training factors that too many gun owners are ignoring at their own risk, and the number one myth that could be holding you back from being the true protector your family needs you to be when you're attacked in your home or on the street. But first, let's check out this special message. What if everything you knew about how to stop a violent attacker with your gun was wrong? Discover the advanced tactics you must know now to protect yourself and those you love with a firearm. Check out our free book, Stopping Power Secrets. Inside, you'll find such no-hold-barred shockers as 1. The three most common myths and misinformation shoveled out by movies and gun range know-it-alls that could get you killed in a real-life gunfight. 2. The cold, hard truth about your personal weapon's ability to be a one-shot man-stopper. 3. What coroners know about selecting the right ammo for your firearm that you don't. 4. And the simple training trick used by Abrams tank crews and commercial airline pilots that will prepare you for a real attack even better than your best day at the range. Don't place your family's safety in the hands of Hollywood fairy tales and hearsay. Claim your free copy of Stopping Power Secrets now now at www.stoppingpowersecrets.com. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back with Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, talking about how to make your tactical firearms training as realistic as possible and better prepare you for an attack. We have a lot more to get to, so let's go ahead and jump back in now. Jeff, we were talking about the training partner factor when it comes to creating realistic scenarios for dry fire training. Can you explain more about the difference having a training partner can make with being more prepared for a real attack and maybe give an example of an easy exercise someone could do for a force-on-force training drill? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everybody has to realize that a real attack is going to be you against one or more attackers. So... You know, that's gonna, that's gonna create a whole different dynamic than a stationary target on the wire down at the range. So 
when you throw in the dynamic of another live human being attacking you within within the confines of like a safe training drill, like a, you know, making it a safe exercise. I mean, that's where things get real. That's where you get the best training. So for one, it adds more of that adrenaline factor. And part of that is because, you know, you're having to perform with another person. And, you know, a lot of people, they, they, they rank, they rank, you know, kind of doing public speaking with dying as far as like a fear that people have. In fact, I think, I think some studies put it as, you know, people are more afraid of public speaking than they are of dying. And so when you are using a training partner doing these dry fire exercises, there is this performance factor in there. You know, there's this, you don't want to be, you know, seen as not as good as or not prepared or, you know, everybody loves their bragging rights when it comes to their firearms training, right? So, so there's that aspect of it. The other aspect of that with the adrenaline factor is that um, it's competitive. So, you know, you want, you, you should be trying to outdo the other person. I mean, that's what kind of pushes you along. I mean, when I was, I mean, basketball was my sport in high school. I always used to play with people who were like seniors when I was a freshman because I, I knew I was going to get my ass kicked, but I wanted to always push myself. So I would, I would be constantly trying to beat other people that I thought were better than me. So you can do that same thing. I mean, you want to try to, you know, it gives you something to strive for in those type of exercises. And the other, the other factor in it is that it is more realistic because you have movement, you, because you have all those things. And second, you have a, you have a thinking person to defend against rather than just a stationary target. So your training partner can decide to walk away from a confrontation or he can charge you. And you may not know which one he's going to choose. So this forces you to engage your brain far more during the training so that you also learn faster what works and what doesn't work. Let me give you, let me give you an example of a, of a simple drill since you asked. Um, you know, a lot of gun owners out there, and this, this is the first one I tell people to start off with, with, uh, with force on force. You know, a lot of people who own a gun or, or, or study tactical firearms training or anything like that might be familiar with the Tooler drill, which was conducted within long, law enforcement, like long, long, long ago. And it is it essentially established what we call the 21 foot rule. And basically what that means is, is that if you're facing a man, let's say armed with a knife who was 21 feet away from you, that was the least amount of space that you needed to be able to effectively draw your weapon and fire a shot before you got stabbed. And this has pretty much become gospel and it's been gospel for a very, very long time. It's become kind of tried and true, but we've tested this scenario in force on force training over and over and over again. So it's a great starting point for people to really understand that maybe what they've learned in the past is not going to be applicable to the way things really happen in, in a real fight. So you would kind of do that, that same thing. You would set up in dry fire with a partner. I prefer to use airsoft because this gives you the dynamic. I, I use a gas blowback airsoft gun or a cert training gun because then you're, you're seeing whether or not your rounds are, are hitting your target. But basically, you would, your attacker would, would carry a training knife, which could just be a piece of cardboard or it could be a plastic training knife or something like that. Um, but you would, you would start out, I always say test the rule first. So start out 21 feet away. And, and their goal is to charge you and stab you before you're able to get your firearm out and be able to shoot them. Now, I would add a few different things to this to make it more realistic because the way that they did the Tooler drill to me was extremely unrealistic. Okay. So first of all, 
you know, they were, you know, this was with a law enforcement officer who was carrying an open sidearm, kind of like, you know, Old West style, like six gun style on his side. And he was standing off and facing this person. So most likely, if you're going to be ambushed in the street, if you're going to be carrying concealed. So I recommend that you also, you, you start this exercise with your weapon. That's why I like Airsoft, because you can get the, an exact replica of your, of your typical, of your carry gun. And it, it feels and looks the same, and you, it'll fit in the same holster that you normally carry in. So I recommend that you carry concealed versus the, the way they really did the tooler drill, which was open carry. Um, the other thing I would suggest is that, you know, in that drill, that law enforcement officer knew that the drill was going to happen. He knew this person who's 21 feet away from me is going to start running at me, and my job is to pull my weapon and, and get to them. That was the whole reason for the drill. That's not the way things are going to happen for you typically. You don't typically have a criminal who starts walking across the street from 21 feet away with holding a knife saying, hey, I'm, tw you know, I'm 21 feet away from you, but if you don't give me your, your, your money, I'm going to run at you and stab you. It's most likely going to be an ambush, and it's going to be in very close quarters. So what I recommend, though, is, is, is to start at that 21-foot place, but, but work on shoot-don't-shoot shoot scenarios. So that you don't know if he's going to come charging you. So that it's more of a surprise because that's what it's going to be in a real life attack. So, so, you know, start off concealed carry and you're going to, um, you know, you want that element of surprise in there. So you're going to lose a little bit of reaction time there. It's going to force you to, to, you know, maybe not be ready for, for drawing. And then the other, the other thing I'd say to do as an adjustment is to, is to try and recreate that adrenaline factor. Because that's going to mess with your your uh, your mechanics of being able to get to your gun. So you might be used to drawing your weapon in a relaxed atmosphere. Now you've got somebody charging at you. So that adds adrenaline right there. But you can do more to recreate that adrenaline uh, factor. So you're going to lose you're going to you're going to lose fine motor skills, which are probably going to be most important for you. Okay. Um, so just to be able to recreate that, you can do fingertip push-ups before you get in position and the person starts coming at you. Actually, Ox, you gave me a really good tip a long time ago, which was to put your hands in ice water. And mm -hmm. because that's going to also create kind of like, it's going to, it's going to force you to use gross motor skills and it's going to be harder to get to your gun, which is the way things are really going to happen. So I would say, like, do the tooler drill, recreate it. But add those three different factors in there and see how they work out for you. I know how they work out because we've we've tested this, and and you know that's why I always say the tooler drill the tooler drill is just is total bullshit when it comes to tactical firearms training because we've tested this 40, 50, 60 feet out with open carry, not even not even doing concealed, and we've seen that a, an attacker even knowing the attack is coming. An attacker from 50, 60 feet away can get to somebody even with an open carry um, and stab them before they can get the gun out. Not all the time, but we've seen that happen over and over and over again, even with experienced gun owners that, you know, that's why this drill works so well, because it it helps you to establish your own boundary of knowing that, hey, just because somebody's 25 feet away doesn't mean you're safe. And this is what helps prove it to you so that you you have a better you have a better idea of when you should, when you can draw your weapon and you can also explain that, uh, based upon your training if you ever have to defend yourself in court for, for that reason. Yeah, it's one thing we've talked about that I think is probably important to mention is, um, Tuller was a, a great guy. It is a great guy. And, um, he did not 
uh, this sounds weird, but he did not come up with the Tuller drill. Uh, he didn't name it the Tuller drill. Uh, he was uh, running a class with the Salt Lake Police Department, and um, what they were finding was that, well, their their test was that people needed to draw and put rounds on target in a second and a half. And at the end of the day, they started playing and seeing, okay, how long, how much ground can someone cover in in that same second and a half? And that was the end of it. Uh, he mentioned it to a writer for I forget what yeah. magazine it was, and the writer gave it gave that one training drill on one day wings, yeah. and it became gospel from there. But Tuller didn't intend for it to be uh, to develop into anything close to what it was. He he understood he understood it for what it was, um, a simple illustration that someone can cover. Um, 21 feet in a second and a half. And on that day, their drill said that they had to put rounds on target in under a second and a half. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we see this like repeated over and over again. It's a, it's a good example of how things get bastardized along the way, you know, un, unknowingly or whatever. But, you know, I think because people don't train tactically, like they're so willing to take word of mouth or advice they see in a magazine or something they heard down at the gun range or just because somebody says it with confidence and bravado, you know, they, they kind of take that, they kind of log it away as a tactical truth. And, you know, that's why doing this this sort of force-on-force force training with dry fire, you know, forces you to kind of like wipe the slate clean and say, okay, let's assume you know, let's, let's say that that might not be true. Let's test out the truth of it. And, and you can do that with a lot of different types of, of drills and stuff too, you know? Yeah. And one thing I've, uh, seen and started using is, uh, instead of doing one to three second random starts where you know that the buzzer is going to go off somewhere between one and three seconds from when the, your range officer or safety officer says stand by. Uh, doing one to five minute random starts where you have to read a book out loud until the buzzer goes. Hmm. And it adds in the element of, of randomness and surprise. Cause when you know that one to five seconds from now or one to five seconds from now, you're going to have to react and you know what the threat is and you know what you need to do. Your times are going to be a lot, lot faster. Yeah. There's, there's no delay. There's your your brain is in the moment and it's ready to attack. And you can you can stage your muscles. You can stage your thought process. But when you add in the randomness of reading from a book and a long random delay, yeah, it uh, it gets closer to what reality is going to be. Yeah, so it's like a false confidence kind of going in that like that five second range. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Jeff. Well. What would you say are the three most overlooked factors that most gun owners fail to address in their training and specifically ones that you feel are critical to surviving an attack? Um, the, these three things are like the bane of my existence. I preach them over and over again, but it's funny how I always get like comments on Facebook or the blog or whatever, like, you know, you can't karate chop a bullet. So like hand-to-hand training is something that I think is a skill that a lot of gun owners don't take seriously enough. So, so that's one. So I would say hand-to-hand combat training, tactical awareness training, which I think people give a lot of lip service to, 
but don't necessarily, you know, I think take it as as critical as I think they should. And the other one, which I preach all the time, is the shoot, don't shoot scenario-based training. So so I'll go through each one of those a little bit and, and, and kind of get, you know, kind of expand on them a little bit. So let's start with, you know, tactical awareness training. I mean, in basic, I think criminals aren't criminals aren't as stupid as we think they are. I think you know I think we I think we always look at them as these um, these low life scumbags who never finished school and really have no education and they're just no they're very smart they're just very street smart I mean they they are training all the time in and how to pull off what they need to pull off to make you a victim so they know that an ambush is the best way for them to get you. I mean, they're not looking for a confrontation. They're not looking to get, you know, take the chance that you have a gun or that you're going to fight back or whatever. They would much rather just hit you over the back of the head with a baseball bat and and take your stuff and be on your way. So tactical awareness is huge because you might not even see the attack coming. Uh, look at the knockout drill. That's a really good example. You know, people are just kind of walking along and all of a sudden somebody reaches out and just, you know, Jackson trying to knock him out with one punch. Now, there are things that you can do in the way of of drills and, and exercises specific to developing tactical awareness. You know, for example, you can choose something for the day, like, um, let's say, blue shirts. And so you're going to spend the day, you're going to go to work, you're going to go to school, you're going to go wherever, and your goal is to identify as many blue shirts as you can and keep a little, you know, a little pad of paper with you, and each time just go ahead and, and marked down. So it can be anything. It can be red cars. It can be, you know, it can be anything at all, but it will help you to get used to looking around and scanning other people, other things around you. So that's going to help out a lot with, you know, just making sure that you're more aware of what's going on around you. Hand-to-hand combat training, I, I, I always see that as kind of like, um, I mean, I would call tactical awareness kind of like the pillar, but hand-to-hand combat training is certainly a foundational factor. And, you know, most attacks happen, and I would say it's because of, of one of two things, either escalated arguments or an ambush. That's the reality of when you're most likely going to have to pull, pull your weapon, other than like a, you know, like a home defense type situation. So that means that you're most likely not going to have the time for that, you know, that fast draw that you're so, you know, easily pulling off in front of the mirror in a relaxed atmosphere. Most likely, you're going to have to fight to your gun in order to be able to create that space so that you're not getting, you know, punched, stabbed, or shot. And one thing I like to do with this is that's why the Bob training dummy comes in really handy. And, you know, the Bob training dummy, you can beat the hell out of this thing. And that's why I like to use it for firearms training. Now, one thing is it, it's typically on a, like a post. Um, so it's, it might move back, like you can, you can shove it. And it'll be like a, a weeble for those people that remember weebles. I'm kind of dating myself now. But there was a toy that, you know, no matter how much the weeble wobbled, it always came back up. So what we did was we put a, um, an eye bolt. I think you'd call, I think you'd call it an eye bolt, like in a, a very big one in the top of Bob's head. And basically then we can suspend him on a wire. So what that does is allows us to, like in, in my home tactical range. So we, you know, I've got like little areas of my home that are, kind of built out as a tactical range. And I use this in my in my garage where I can suspend Bob on a wire. And then so then when I push him to create space, he actually travels backwards. So it's a it's it's more realistic of if you were to have somebody in front of you and you take both your hands 
And rather than trying to draw your weapon where they can, you know, start stabbing you as you're, you're trying to get to your gun, you take, first you take both hands and you just go straight up into their face as, as hard as you can, like you're trying to take their head off their shoulders. And that'll push them back. That'll push them off balance and that'll create the space that you need because then you can draw your weapon. So we do the same thing with the Bob training dummy. Put it on a wire, push it, it goes backwards. That creates the space for me and then I draw my weapon. And then the last one we talk about is like that, that shoot, don't shoot legal responsibility. And this is, this is huge because if you listen to anybody on the internet, you go into like the forums and the blog posts and things like that. Just by the way people talk about how, you know, whether somebody was right in a, you know, you know, like if somebody was, um, if, if somebody was had their home invaded, if they were arrested because they shot somebody, you know, people get very, they get a lot of bravado when they're talking in the forums. Like I would kill all those guys, you know, you know, too bad I didn't see those guys in a dark alley. I'd have blown them all away. Just, you know, put a bullet to the back of the head, stuff like that. If it, First of all, I like to believe that people wouldn't actually react that way, but people oftentimes think that they will. And that's exactly the type of behavior that, yeah, you'll be alive. You know, they say better, you know, judged by 12 than carried by six. You'll be alive, but you could have the rest of your life ruined because of one little mistake that you made, whether it doesn't matter what it, what it is, whether you shouldn't have even pulled your gun, whether you shouldn't have shot, and it could be the adrenaline that made you do it or whatever. It doesn't matter. You could be found guilty um, of murder even if you think that you were in the right. So those shoot, don't shoot scenarios to me are absolutely critical. And and most people are not training in that. In fact, when I got my concealed carry handgun license, um, they spent more time on why we should be fighting our politicians for our Second Amendment rights that they re- they spent so much time on that that they ran out of time to talk about when we were legally legally able to use our weapon. So we had to just kind of brush over those slides really quick. And I had I had no confidence that people coming out of my class knew when they could actually use their weapon in self defense. And it was it was appalling to me. And you know I'm afraid that that that's out there a lot. There's a lot of misconceptions about when you can actually. Um, you know, use your weapon in self-defense. That's why, you know, we created a, a whole DVD about this um, called Bulletproof Defense. And, and it's only, it's it's talks specifically about that. And there have been people that have been put, in, you know, sent to prison because they were, they should have been justified to defend themselves, but they, they either said the wrong thing to the police, said the wrong thing on a 911 call, um, shot when they weren't supposed to shoot, you know, things like that. So, so that's, that's critical. And this is something that you can really do with that force-on-force training. So we come back to that because, you know, when you have a a training partner there, it's forcing you to make a decision. And you can get an honest critique from that training partner on on whether you'd be in trouble or not when you got that, when you got that, um, you know, that scenario delivered to you. The one thing I would say is, like, be creative. Like, if I were a training partner, I would say it's best for your, your training partner to try to trick you into taking the wrong shot. That's what they should do. Like, you know, go to reach for, you know, your cell phone, you know, uh, create a scenario where you're reaching in your back pocket for like a wallet or something. And you're trying to force that shot off there because that's the way things are going to be. Like, you know, you shoot somebody you think is in self-defense and the cops show up and there was no gun there. The person was reaching for, you know, a, a sign in their back pocket that said, you know, I'm, I'm deaf mute. I, you know, I, I, I can't, you know, I can't hear you, and you shot the person. 
So the other, the other one factor in that though is like you have, you, you and your trainer should both know what those legal responsibilities are. And that's what I find is that most people are not aware. They think they're aware, but they're really not aware of when they can use their gun. So that's, that's why I suggest, you know, get the DVD. It's a free DVD and, um, and it'll, it'll help you with that. Then you can build scenarios out of that. Good stuff, Jeff. And I want to, uh, add in a couple of things on the realistic scenarios. And first off, uh, as far as, uh, tricking your training partner, uh, one thing to keep in mind is that you don't want to introduce too much of a delay to the shoot, don't shoot process. And what I mean by that is, um, you can, you can trick people. You can trick your training partner over and over and over again and get them to the point where they delay half a second to a second on shoot, don't shoot scenarios. And that half second to a second is translates to two, three, four inbound shots in a real life conflict. And, uh, depending on where you're at, you need to, you need to check locally. Uh, a lot of courts will support someone if there's an aggressor and they have that aggressor at gunpoint. And the aggressor has verbally and physically threatened them, and they make a quick movement as if they're going for a weapon or as if they're going to attack. And um, in those cases, uh, if you make a huge delay to see whether or not they're trying to threaten you with a phone or threaten you with a gun or threaten you with a knife, uh, that can be, that's basically not taking action. And that can be just as bad as not having a, a firearm in the first place. Yeah. And the second thing is in, in the training, it's good to introduce gotchas every once in a while, but you also, uh, one of the biggest things you're going to have going for you in a high stress lethal force encounter is, and this is going to sound kind of hokey, but you're, your positive attitude or your attitude period. And it's either going to be, uh, you're going to be positive and confident and know that you've got things under control, or you're going to be full of self doubt and second guessing. And if you train in a way that creates nothing but self doubt and second guessing, guess how you're going to perform under stress. Yeah, that's a good point. And it is good to introduce gotchas and surprises from time to time, but overall the, the theme needs to reinforce the fact that, yes, if I get into this situation, I know I can handle it. Yeah, and you don't want to be dorky with, like, your tricks. You know, it's like, oh, you know, hey, um, yeah, no problem. And then, like, you know, quickly reach back like like you would for a gun, but only you pull out your, your cell phone. Like, you have to really think like a criminal. I mean, it is – I always say it's it's kind of harder for the, the training partner to perform than it is for the person who is defending themselves because it really helps for you to think like, okay, if I were a criminal, let's say, so your goal isn't necessarily to trick your partner, but it's to be a criminal and decide because a criminal is going to have to decide, you know, make that decision like, okay, you know what? This person has a gun on me. I'm not stupid. I'm, I'm going to walk away from this. You know, how would you feel if, um, if, 
you know, your training partner that has the gun is, is defending himself, you know, if he actually got the drop on you, like you had planned on attacking, but he got the gun out in time. It's like, how would you feel if you're a criminal at that time? Like, oh man, no, I'm, I'm not going to be stupid about this. I mean, you know, it's not a real gun, but how would it feel? And that's, that's good feedback right there because then you know that your training partner did the right thing. You can give that feedback like, wow, that was, you know, that was great. I mean, you were very commanding with your voice. Um, I really felt like you were you were going to shoot me if I didn't do something, and that made me think twice. And I decided that it wasn't worth it. So so don't get all dorky with um <laughs> with how you're trying to trick them, but really try and like think of yourself like an actor. Mm-hmm. Yep. What would you say is the number one myth that you think is holding people back from actually becoming more prepared for a real gunfight? I think it would be that you know once you. Once you own a gun and train a few times with it, that that's all you need to be ready for the real thing. I think that's the biggest misconception that people have in their minds because that's, that's what, that's a gun owner in my opinion. You know, that's not, that's not a protector. That's not somebody who is prepared to be able to use their weapon in self-defense. That's what I call a gun owner. And, you know, the reality is that most people don't practice with their weapon, plain and simple. And, and I get it. You know, it, Look, it takes a lot of time. You got to go down to the range. You got drive time. You get there. All the lanes are, are, are filled up. You got to wait your turn. It's a pain in the ass. I mean, how many times can you like, you know, go shopping and, you know, window shopping for handguns at the counter at the local gun range? You know, it's a lot of money, uh, to do live fire down at the range. You have to buy the ammo. You got to buy the range. So, you know, I get it. You know, most people have good intentions for going to the range, but they rarely ever do. So, the way I look at it is you, you have to look at it like this. The criminals are out there practicing every single day. They're learning how to target the right person. They, you know, they have their tactical awareness up all the time. They're practicing when to attack and when not to attack. They're, they're practicing how to avoid getting injured while they're attacking or, or captured by police. Like they're perfecting their craft all the time. But honestly, how often can, you know, most people say, that they're training on the things that they need to be able to protect against those criminals. And you really need to think of your tactical defense training more like a lifestyle rather than just something that you do a couple of times and then think that you've got it all down. I mean, you can practice things like tactical awareness all day long. We talked about, like, you know, looking for blue shirts or something like that. But all it really takes is 15 minutes to do one single exercise with your weapon, like dry fire, each week at home. And that's enough to really help you keep developing your skills without it becoming some sort of like an expensive hassle like most people tag on there with going down to a live fire range. So all you have to do is just pick one exercise, like either solo or with a training partner. You know, you can do it with the 3D targets, things like that, and then make a weekly thing out of it. Um, you know, Ox, you've got, you know, dry fire training cards. You know, just pull out one of those random cards or, or just, you know, grab one that you wanted to do. And then, you know, set up that training scenario. It literally only takes, you know, some of them you can do in like five minutes. I recommend you just, I recommend that you structure in like 15 minutes on the weekend if that's your free time and, and put that in as your practice plan. Make it part of your weekly schedule. And, you know, once you start doing this, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot more fun than going down to the range and blowing off, you know, a few rounds. Because you're building in different scenarios, especially if you have a, a training partner that you can do it with. In fact, you know, we use people within our team, but, you know, we've thought about even, you know, doing it like some sort of a club. 
because if you have multiple people that you can do this with, one, you get a lot more different critique from people. Like I noticed you did this, or if you did this, I think you'd be faster. Or, you know, I think if you, have you tried carrying your gun this way or, you know, using this type of a holster instead, you can get a lot more of that feedback when you have more people there. Not to mention that you can work on like multiple attacker scenarios with, um, you know, with your firearm and force on force if you have somebody. So, you know, it doesn't take very much equipment. You can use uh, replica training guns. You can use a CERT training gun, uh, the laser gun. Um, I prefer airsoft. That's what I, lo- I like, a, a ga- gas blowback airsoft gun. Um, but it, it doesn't matter. Like I said, it comes down to really the, t- the tactics and your decision-making that are going to be probably the most beneficial for you, especially when it comes to force-on-force training and things like that. Um, so there's a, there's a lot you can do there. But the key here is, to look at this as a training lifestyle, a tactical lifestyle decision, and make it part of a of a weekly practice routine that you do to keep these things fresh and to keep to keep developing those skills more and more as, as you go on. Excellent, Jeff. I agree 100% on that. that uh, the more frequent your training, the the better it is. And 15 minutes once a week for 50 weeks. Uh, will make you a better shooter at the end of a year than a three or four day class at the beginning of the year where you shoot a few thousand rounds and then you don't do anything the rest of the year. Amen. Amen. So <laughs> awesome information, Jeff. And yeah. thanks for having me on as a guest host this week. I, I really appreciate it. No, I, I, I've been looking forward to this for a long time because I mean, like, I know you think a lot like I do and you know, it's, you've got those dry fire training cards, you got things like that. And it's so, you know, I, it's almost part of like, um, I almost feel like we're on the, like, like we're trying to get this movement going of, look guys, you don't just need the range. You can do dry fire like at home and, and get so much more out of it. So, um, you were the, you were the perfect person to bring in as a guest host for this, uh, for this one. Good deal. Well, thank you. Uh, well, there you have it, folks. Hopefully that convinced you that there really is a tactical life beyond the range and that you don't have to spend a ton of time or money to become more confident with your firearm. And in fact, uh, like we talked about, setting up simple drills you can do at home, I would argue, and I know Jeff will agree, uh, can be much more effective if you do it right. And so this seems like a great place to shove in a shameless plug for my own website where you can get some additional ideas for at-home dry fire drills. I'll do the plug. I'll do the plug for you because, um, you know, I, I have these. Uh, I, I wish I this is one of those things like I wish I'd thought of that. And um, these are really good. Like, you know, like um, like Ox was saying, I mean, basically these are playing cards and they have different dry fire drills on them. Now, I purchased a set before I bought the, uh, your your dry fire cards. I purchased I'm not going to say where they came from, um, but it was a very well-known tactical instructor, uh, competition guy who has these dry fire, these range cards that you take with you now. This was when I first started training with a handgun. I got these things to to try and figure out some stuff I could do down at the range. This was a long time ago, but I I literally could not decipher the cards. Like they were so complicated and number one they were they were they were meant to for live fire range. So it would require a lot of money to put in, you know, all the different uh drills that you could do and things like that. They were very complicated. They took a lot of um they typically couldn't be done at a regular live fire range unless you had a private range because they required setting up different scenarios and things like that. I paid forty dollars for those cards. 
and I couldn't even use one of them. So your dry fire cards, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of these things and they have, um, you know, they're very simple exercises and they are meant to be able to do at home. So there's not a lot of like, you know, uh, preparation you have to do and things like that. They're very, very simple things that you can do and they, they really work. Like we've been talking about in this whole thing. It's like, it really, you know, these are the little things that you can do that are much more um, effective than going to some three-day tactical class that's going to cost you a bazillion dollars. So now I'll, I'll plug it for you. <laughs> so, and I know that's on your website, um, tactical training, uh, tactical shooting secrets.com. So now everybody, I, I definitely recommend go over there and, and check it out, check them out. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. All right. So until the next modern combat and survival broadcast, this is your guest host, Ox, saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. Thanks, everyone. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.